Morning, everyone. Did everyone see what I just did? I really hope that the service goes okay, because I totally mixed it up, didn't I? I usually walk through that door, and today I walked through that way. I'm glad we're talking about superstitions this morning. Does anybody have any superstitions? Yeah, I think everybody does, right? One of my favorite ball players, basketball that is, always wore his college shorts under his pro uniform. I know another baseball player who, crazy as it sounds, always brushed his teeth the day of the game with licorice. Because he felt that if he didn't use licorice to brush his teeth, which I have no idea how someone even invents that, but that's, that's pretty cool. There are superstitions surrounding every aspect of life. If you want to sell your home, what are you supposed to put outside of your front door? A statue of Mary. If you want to be safe driving in a car, do you know what you put around the uh, rearview mirror? You've got two options to keep you safe. You've got a rosary and what else? Fuzzy dice. In fact, all of... I'm not, ma I'm not making that up. Come on. There are... When I started looking up superstitions, I had to stop myself because it was a rabbit trail that took me an hour away from the study I needed to do. But regardless if it's a good superstition or a bad, our world, our culture, our society, maybe even us, we are filled with superstitions. Don't walk on the crack because you might break your mother's back. My poor mom has broken her back so many times I can't even tell you how many times your mom has also broken her back. But whether it's broken mirrors, black cats, throwing salt, opening an umbrella indoors, knocking on wood, walking under a ladder, horseshoes, rabbit feet, four-leaf clovers, dream catchers, acorns, or warding off an evil eye, we are filled with superstitions. Here's a list of some of my favorite. You find a penny, pick it up, and all the day you'll have good luck only if the penny is facing up. If the penny is facing down, you need to skip it or you'll get bad luck instead. Don't place two mirrors opposite of each other because infinite reflections may look cool, but in Mexico, facing mirrors open a doorway for the devil. So I hope you don't have two mirrors facing each other at home. Never, never stick your chopsticks facing up in your bowl of rice because that is a sign of the devil, the number four brings death. Um, oh, if you're ever in the Philippines and you go to a funeral, I need to warn you, don't go home right away after the funeral because that's where the devil will follow you. And else's house because you don't want the devil following you to your house if you're in the Philippines. If you live in Lithuania, Never, never, even if you're visiting there, never whistle in your house because whistling in your house tells the devil where you live. So don't whistle in your house. If you're not in Lithuania, you can whistle all you want. But in Lithuania, somehow the devil knows if you whistle, he knows where you live. A lot of these have to do with the devil for whatever reason. Uh, uh, one of the ones, um, oh, if you're in Japan, don't sleep facing the north because that's the way they bury people and if you sleep facing north the devil knows where to get you but if you are oh but just to make it more complicated in some places in africa you need to avoid sleeping west 
because that's where the devil gets you. So really the only safe bet is to sleep facing the east or the south because I didn't find any superstitions about that. But don't sleep facing north, don't sleep facing the south, especially if you're in Japan, or I mean west, or if you're in some places in Africa. This is odd. Uh, I think we've all stepped in something in the grass that we probably didn't want to step in, right? But if you step in it with your right foot in France, it's good luck. If it's your left foot, it's bad luck. I think if you step in anything that you know you should be stepping in out in the grass, it's bad. But if it's your right foot, congratulations, good luck will follow you the rest of the day. In Syria, not that we've been in Syria lately, but in 1933, believe it or not, the king of Syria at the time signed into law, you're not allowed to play with yo-yos outside because it brings a drought. And to this day, still on the books of the law in Syria, you cannot have a yo-yo outside because it brings a drought. Wedding bells, while you may enjoy wedding bells, while you may be pretty and enjoyable to hear wedding bells, they originated with a warning that the devil is not invited into this marriage. And so wedding bells rang throughout the entire town to celebrate the devil can't get into this marriage. That's where they originated. Oh, if you ever find yourself in Rwanda, and if you're a lady, don't eat goat meat. Because eating goat meat in Rwanda is supposed to make you hairy. So unless you want to be hairy, don't eat goat meat. In fact, when you are a young man entering into adulthood, they serve you goat meat in the hopes that you will become hairy. You know, no worries. I can pass the goat meat. Oh, in Korea, ladies, if you are pregnant and find yourself in Korea, there's a host of things, but this is my favorite. You are not allowed to eat asymmetrical food. Meaning, your food has to have the same proportions. It needs to be round or square or triangle. It can't be a weird amoeba-shaped food because, believe it or not, if you eat weird amoeba-shaped food while you're pregnant, your baby is going to be ugly. <laughs> so, only symmetrical shaping food. Also, in Portugal, it's considered very bad luck to walk backwards. See, I'm not in... Portugal, so I can do this. Because in Portugal, if you walk backwards, guess what? The devil knows how to find you. <laughs> Walking forward, the devil doesn't have a clue. But if you walk backwards, forget it. All bets are off. The devil knows exactly who you are and where you are. In the Philippines, you are never, ever supposed to wear red during a thunderstorm. Do you know why? because lightning only strikes people who are wearing red in the Philippines. Didn't know that, but it's a major superstition. Whenever it's raining, you never wear red. Ron, I'm glad it's not raining today, but you're in good shape. We're not in the Philippines. And then lastly, in Spain. Anyone ever been to Spain? I haven't, okay, just very few people have been to Spain. Did you ever walk into a room that had a door if you did, I'm hoping that you walked in with your right foot first. Because if you walked in with your left foot first, bad luck is supposed to follow you the rest of the day. And you're supposed to leave the room with your right foot first, 
never your left foot. There are, and that was just 17 quick superstitions that are both negative and positive that you can do a quick Google search about. Christians as well, though, have superstitions, or they like to call them guidelines or rules. Not biblical. They might be good, but, oh, Tim, you better really use a paper Bible because if you use an electronic Bible, it's just not the same. Or if you don't have your daily devotions and something bad happens during the day, it's because you didn't have daily devotions. And so all of a sudden, a good thing, devotions, become this superstition that if I don't do it right, I get penalized by God. Or if I do all this right, then I get a reward from God. God doesn't work like that. The world doesn't work like that. Black cats cannot bring you bad luck because there is no such thing as good luck or bad luck. God has everything under control absolutely at all times and doesn't need a statue or a medal or rosary beads or chopsticks or how you walk to influence the future. None of it is true. But people live and die by those type of made-up superstitions. A stone, a rock placed in a different spot has no bearing on your life whatsoever. How God views you and how you are to view God and one another. We see that, but our character today in the book of Judges is full of superstitions. We're in Judges chapter 17, and we're going to look at this chapter and it actually carries on to the next chapter and even chapter eight, 19, but we're going to look at chapter 17 this morning, and we're going to see a character named Micah. Now, Micah, the name simply means one who is like God or one who sees God, one who knows God, one who reveals God. And there are several different Micahs, the name, in Scripture. This is not the Micah, the prophet, but just a guy named Micah living during the days of the judges, during that 400, 450-year period that... The judges takes place. But we're shown this story for a very particular reason. And we'll see that reason develop over the next couple days or the next couple weeks that we are uh, in these last few chapters. But let's start in uh, chapter 17, starting in verse 1 through 5, and look at Micah's, guess what, idolatry. But it shows itself in a very unique way. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is uh, in relationship to Jerusalem, a little bit north and west of Jerusalem, sort of like, from our perspective, the good night area. So that kind of area is where Ephraim would be in relationship to Jerusalem. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, oh, I already see that this isn't going to start good, they also spoke it in my ear, and also spoke it in my ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by Jehovah. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to Jehovah from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, 
His mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmiths, who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine. And he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. Micah got caught with his hand in the cookie jar, taking 1,100 pieces of silver, which would have been equivalent to about uh, somewhere around maybe seven to eight years' worth of income. I mean, it was, it was an extremely large amount of money. And Micah obviously took it because he admits to it, but he only admits to it when he hears his mother giving a curse. You know, cursed be the man who took this silver, may a thousand fleas infect his armpits for the rest of his life. Who knows what the curse was, but he was freaking out because he fessed up to it and said, hey, Mom, you know that stuff you said about the silver? Guess what? I took it. Now, I imagine, as all mothers and fathers know, when money is missing from your wallet or purse, there's really only a certain number of people who could have taken it off your dresser. Only a certain number of people. So I imagine she realized that there probably was an inside person to this theft. But he owns up to it, and his mom is gracious and thankful, so grateful and so thankful that she praises God and, of course, immediately goes, let's make idols. Let's make idols. Let's make an ephod and some idols, and an ephod, again, is just something that is made. It has no distinguishing characteristics, but something that is made in relationship to worship. And they make carved images. God doesn't want you to do that. Okay, so he fessed up to taking the money from his mom. That should have been it. She should have forgiven him. They should have had a great relationship after that. Maybe not trust him with everything, but that trust can be earned. But you don't celebrate the return of that money by making idols. And on top of that, he makes a shrine. So in his house, when you walk into his house, you know exactly who he loves. You know exactly who he worships, who he relies on, who he believes the future dictates and controls. These silver-made idols and stuff. There's a lot of people, a lot of people in this world that are gripped by idolatry, a lot. I love watching documentaries. I love watching just different cultures on display from their foods and their customs, but it always grieves me, always deeply hurts me when I see them bowing down before a rock or a statue of an animal or a made-up image, and they feed it, and they give food to it and money to it, and sing to it, and worship it, and pray to it. I look at that and I go, it can't answer. It cannot help you one bit. When you are in the depths of despair, it will not reach down and comfort you and give you joy and hope and love and forgiveness. It can't offer you anything. It is a rock. It is a statue. You made it with your own hands, and God has to tell us hundreds of times in Scripture it cannot save. That good luck charm cannot save. That special way of doing things for a routine, and if you do it differently, bad luck will follow, can't. It doesn't. It doesn't save. And to see these people who have amazing cultures and amazing food worship and sacrifice in the way they do grieves me. 
because they do not know the one true Lord and his son, Jesus Christ. And what's shocking to me, and it should be shocking to you, that these people in this story, Micah and her, his mom, know who Jehovah is. They use the covenantal name Jehovah or Yahweh. They know this God that Moses talked about, that Abraham loved and worshipped, that Samson loved, that Gideon loved, that Shepheth loved, that all these other great judges loved. But they worshipped a false idol. Why would they worship a false idol when they have the one true living God in their midst? Well, we're told because of the next verse why they fell into this terrible cycle of adultery with idols. Verse 6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It didn't matter that they knew the name God, that they knew the Ten Commandments. It didn't matter that they knew the story of salvation, the history of redemption. It doesn't matter that they knew the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about a son that would come and rule and reign and bring forgiveness and restoration. That didn't matter. There was no one there to lead them. There was no one there to hold them to that standard, to call them to obedience, to remind them of holiness at all cost. There was no one there to tell them that they were supposed to be different, live different, think different than the Philistines, than the Amorites and all the other ites that are surrounding them. There was no one there to hold them to the accountability. How privileged we are to live in this day and age where I can just get on YouTube and hit something about the gospel of Jesus Christ and be encouraged wherever I am to open up Scripture and read it wherever I am, to call someone, to text someone, to say hi to someone that's a believer and be encouraged. We have that today. We should be so far away from idols and relying upon superstitions that it should never even come up in our conversations that, oh, you better do that. If not, something bad's going to happen. No. My God is in control, not a stone or an idol, or a necklace, or a medal, or an article of clothing, or the way I walk. None of that matters. God matters, both now and in the days of judges. But Micah and his mom were just following the days that were in front of them. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. You know what happens to a culture and society when people do what's right in their own eyes? It's absolute chaos. It's not freedom. It's fear and chaos. When there is not the authority, which is God first and foremost, when God removes his authority from a people, from a person, from a nation, chaos, fear, and destruction will follow. And I'm not making that up. Just be a student of history. See what happens when God removes his hand of peace from the nations in Europe. It falls into everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, and superstitions, idols, terror, and fear surround you. What else do they have? If they don't have God, they have to rely on themselves, and they realize, I can't rely on myself. 
I can't depend upon myself, so I need to turn to this rock. Someone said the rock helps. Someone said the mountain helps. Someone said the stars help. Someone said the color of what I wear helps. Someone said what I eat helps. How I walk helps. And so they grasp onto anything. I feel so sorry that someone has to bow down before an elephant or a statue or Buddha or Hindu or any other God that we've made up and ask them for help when I know they're not going to help. They're not going to answer. They're not going to do anything for you, but trap you, trap you in idolatry. So Micah, I do blame him. He knows better, but he's just following the way the culture is. Maybe, just maybe, in verse 7, Micah's going to turn over a new leaf and change his ways. So let's look at verse 7, all the way through the end of the chapter, verse 13. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah. Now Bethlehem, in relationship to Jerusalem, would be a little bit uh, south and west of where we are here, if uh, Calvary was Jerusalem in Israel. So a little bit south and west. Uh, so there was a man of Bethlehem living in Judah, uh, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite. And he sojourned there, which is up to Ephraim. Now, being a Levite, that means he's a priest. So he's of a priestly order. So he is given by God the duty and responsibility to lead Israel in things religious. Not political leadership, but spiritual leadership. So he's supposed to be kind of like that pastor or teacher within Israel. And so the man departed from the town of Bethlehem and Judah and sojourned where he could find a place and he sojourned, and he came to the hill country of Ephraim to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where did he come from? And he said to him, I'm a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said to him, uh, Micah said to him, I, um, oh my goodness, where am I? Oh, verse 10. And Micah said to him, stay with me. And be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you ten pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothing and all your living. Sounds like a good deal. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. I'm going to leave verse 13 there. I'm not going to read the last verse because so far I'm seeing Micah's engagement with this guy, this young Levite who's leaving Bethlehem and heading north, and he ends up at Micah's house, and it seems like they're having a pretty good relationship so far because Micah says, hey, you know what? I need a priest. I need someone to spiritually lead my household, and I'll pay you for it. I'll give you what you need. Seems like a pretty good deal so far. Maybe Micah has turned a leaf. Maybe Micah realizes, I need direction. I need help. I cannot go through this life making it up on my own how to have a spiritual relationship with God until you get to verse 13. Because at the beginning, it looks like, okay, maybe this is a good relationship. Maybe things are healthy. Maybe Micah is trying to improve upon kind of his mother's standard and do better. He still has that statue and shine in his house, shrine in his house, but maybe he's trying to do a little bit better. 
But we see Micah's motivation on why he did this in verse 13. Then Micah, Micah said, Now I know the Lord will prosper me. How do you know that, Micah? Because I have a Levite as a priest. You know what the Levite priest was basically to Micah? His rabbit's foot, his horseshoe, his little special little, ooh, I, I got a priest now, now I'm going to be okay because I kind of have all, everything lined up. Now I'm going to get God's blessing because I got the best of all worlds. I got silver statues and shrines in my house, and now I've got the bonus of all bonuses. I got a priest, and he's mine. I, I'm not going to spend a great deal of time getting into this, but do you know how you prosper before God? Do you know how that happens? It's doing what God has called you to do in everyday life. It's loving him above all other things and loving your neighbor as yourself. If you dedicate yourself to those two greatest of all commandments, if that is what your household is known for and not a shrine, I guarantee you, you will walk through life feeling as if you are the luckiest person alive because you have a relationship with God that is thriving. And your definition of prosperity will completely change from money in your pocket to the value and worth of having the God of mercy always in communication with you. You will prosper all the days of your life. Every step you take will be an amazing step of confidence and trust in God, and he will reward that relationship with peace and joy. That is prosperity in God's mind. That satisfaction of peace and joy that walks with you every day. And the way you obtain that is not through lucky charms and superstitions and good luck measures. It's through walking daily dependent upon the one person in all of history in the universe that can manage your future. And that's God. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, a set of verses that I know you know, but in Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It has nothing to do with superstitions, idols, and lucky charms. Nothing. Your peace and serenity with God is founded in a relationship with him, not with stuff that you accumulate that even reminds you of him. He doesn't want you to be reminded about him. He wants you to have a relationship with him here and now, here today. And in doing so, and crying out to him who is able to answer. He will bring you joy. He will bring you peace. And it will be so beyond your imagination that you wonder why you never had a relationship with, like this with him before. Because it is so peaceful and satisfying and joyful. But the key to that is not following a list of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts of superstitions. 
is to let him know, God, this is a tough day I'm facing. I need you there. I need you to give me the strength and wisdom to make that right decision, to love that person because you know they're unlovable. But you got to help me. You've got to be my strength. You've got to be my reasoning here because if you're not and I'm left to myself, I'm going to react really bad. And it's not going to reflect the right relationship I have with you. Help me. And God says, that is the prayer and relationship that I want from you. And in every step that you journey in this life, I will be your God and you will be my people. Paul says this is the answer to superstitions. This is the answer to, oh, I have bad luck and I need to break it. This is the, this is the answer to all of it. In everything, in all your worries, cares, concerns, fears, and anxieties, make your supplications made known to him. Let him know. Talk to him directly. You don't need a, a wooden idol or a medal or a statue or, or a phrase to bring you closer to God. You just need to say to him, I want to be closer to you today. I need you. He goes, yes, I know. Let's start walking together. It is that simple to stop living in a good luck, bad luck, karma-filled world by simply going, God, I want to walk with you today. Will you be my God today? And he will say every single time, yes, I will be your God. I will be your God. So Micah, as we take this home today, Micah had a lot of things he was struggling with. Micah added idols and good luck charms in order to create a better relationship with God. And God has nothing but judgment to say about idols. Never communicates that idols are a good thing or an okay thing or I have no opinion about it. God always says idolatry is wrong. Don't worship him according to the ways of man, but worship him the way he desires. And the way he desires is from a contrite heart, a heart that is broken and sold to God. That is all he requires. No other magical cantation can work but a broken and contrite heart to walk humbly before him. And he says that is key to wanting to prosper and to have a relation. Now, I know that Christians are not immune to the struggle with superstitions. We all sometimes take a special way home. We all do something special before we do something. We all have these little things in our mind that I, I got to do this in order for it to work this way. There was a long time that I did not turn air conditioning on in my car because I felt that if I used air conditioning, the car would break down. Tim, now there, I, I still think that there was some logical sense to that, but really there isn't. It's just a bad car that needs its air conditioning fixed because it shouldn't break down when the air's on. But for the longest time, even with the new car, I was like, mm, better not turn the air conditioning on because you know the car could break down. Why, why would I want my family to suffer with no air conditioning if I can fix that? Because it has nothing to do with bad luck. Things break. I get it. Things break. But that doesn't mean it's because I stepped out of the door with the wrong foot that day. God sometimes brings trials into our lives 
regardless of how we walk, regardless of what we wear, how we eat, and how we store our chopsticks. It doesn't matter. God is in control. He's got us in his hands. Now, we're going to sing a song in a minute that talks about that every day of our life, every single day of our life, we are being held by God. We're not being held by idols. We're not being held by superstitions. We're being held by God. Who directs our future? Because if you're looking for good luck and superstitions to direct your future, you have got so many of them that I know you have bad luck because you violated something today. But we don't have to live under that fear and tyranny. We can live with freedom in Christ. We can live with freedom from fear and superstitions. We don't have to have a priest in our house for good luck. You don't have to have anything for good luck. Because our God, the God whom we serve and love, who sent his son to die for us, is greater than any good luck or bad luck this world can make up. And it made it all up. There's no science behind it, logic behind it, or reason behind it. Brushing your teeth with licorice will help you win the game? No. Wearing your clothes from college as a professional sports player is not going to help you win the game. Do you know why I know that's not true? Because he lost games. How do I know that stepping on a crack is not going to break your mother's back? Your mom's back isn't broken right now because of that. How do I know that the devil isn't going to follow you home because you stepped the wrong way out of the door? It's because our God controls the very steps of the devil every single day. God controls him. Not what you do or don't do or how you walk or what you wear or what you eat. None of that is relevant. We need to be far greater than Micah at this point. Micah is sold into slavery because he is afraid to take a step without worshiping a god of his own imagination. We don't have to live that way. Please, I beg you that if there is any superstition in your life, rid yourself of it. God is more powerful than your superstition. God is more powerful than your good luck or bad luck. So a black cat passes you as you're driving home. What possibly could control your future more? A black cat crossing your path or God? Who has more control, walking under a ladder or God? Opening an umbrella inside or God? Who really is in control of your life? Micah thought good luck charms were in control of his life. Who's in control of yours? Let's stand. I'm going to close this in prayer as the band comes up. And I want you to think of that phrase, that very first phrase, that every one of our days is in God's hands. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, We thank you tremendously for your goodness, for your love, for your protection, 
for you being our God. Father, there is nothing more powerful than you. Father, rid our lives of superstitions and silly wives' tales and all of those little good luck, bad luck charms. When we have you, Father, what else possibly would we ever need to give us peace and joy both today and forever? You are our God, our King, our Prophet, and our Priest. In you and you alone do we have safety and protection. Rid us, Father, of relying upon the things of this world to give us a temporary peace and security when only you can. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen.